to a place called Potter's Inn, um, and there's a counselor out there that, that we've used many times uh, that we'll sponsor for you to go and see. Um, and so really thankful that I'll have that opportunity, um, and then I'll be able to really understand the priorities of my life um, with new attention. And so here's the priorities of my life. So there's no mistaking those priorities. This exists today. And Lord willing, I'll walk in faithfulness to these priorities for the rest of my days. Number one, love God with all of my heart. That's number one. That I would walk faithfully as a believer in Jesus Christ. You guys have seen enough pastors push eject on that. And Lord willing, I will remain faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two is I always, always, always want my wife by my side. And love my wife above all other human relationships. Number three. I've got kids that I struggle to be present around because of the urgencies and the grind of ministry sometimes. And so I want to reprioritize my passions in my heart for their development as their father. And that means that I've got to be the best dad that I could possibly be. And then number four is to love and cherish Christ's church and to see that we, the body of Christ, walk in faithfulness together that if I can walk in those first three by God's grace as we do that together, we'll see our church flourish in every way. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for the investment that the elders are giving uh, to me over this season. And I'm really grateful uh, for your continued partnership in the gospel. And uh, I look forward to just being a member here. I'm going to be here. Um, I'm going to sit in the pews and I'm going to get out 10 minutes before service and I'm going to come 10 minutes late. So uh, there we go. (laughs) Just like all y'all. All All right. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Have you had that cry from the depths That cry that says, I feel way down here and God is way up here. I feel this chasm. I feel this distance. I feel this depth from the Lord. That's a good place if you've been there, but it's a hard place. It's a challenging place. It's a place that you wonder if you're in the right place because you feel a certain almost despair, almost anguish. Rhett Dodson says that the depths are the very place where we need God to meet us in his grace. The depths remind us that we need grace because I'm here and God's here in order to be heard by God, in order for God's ear to be attentive to my pleas for mercy. I need his grace. I need God to meet me where I'm at. And church, I'm here to tell you that you have a God who meets you in the depths. He meets you in the depths of your sin. He meets you in the depths of your shortcoming. He meets you way, 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 way down deep. This is the God that we worship. Today, The big idea is that our hope is in the Lord who saves. My hope is in the Lord who saves. Would you say that with me? My hope is in the Lord who saves. 
This is the hope that we proclaim today. And the first point is, is that we have hope way down deep. So the Bible is filled with these certain pictures, these certain normative experiences of humankind in their engagement with God. And one of the normal pictures of the scriptures is when we come face to face with an awareness of our sinfulness and awareness of God's holiness, it leads us to the depths. That's a normal picture of Scripture. That's a normal picture of Christianity. When we see our sinful fallenness and God's righteous holiness, we become aware that we need salvation. Take the example of David, Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know what led King David to write that confession in Psalm 51? It was an adulterous affair. It was a a murderous cover-up. And King David with an awareness of his depravity and God's holiness, is able to give us permission to cry out for mercy when we don't deserve it. He didn't deserve God's mercy. But it was through the line of David, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that God blessed each and every one of us. You see how God uses the depths to bring about his purposes and his plans so that we would have victory? And it was ironically enough, the son of David, Jesus Christ, through the line of Judah, the root of Jesse, (laughs) that we find salvation and hope. It wasn't David whom our hope is in. David says, "Uh uh-uh, not me. I'm sinful before a holy God, but there's one greater than David, a true and better David, a true and better king. Let me give you Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Maybe you don't resonate with David. Maybe you don't resonate with an adulterous affair and a murderous cover-up, but maybe you resonate with Jonah, who, what did he do? He ran away from God. Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you are a runner today, running the other direction. You're not running towards Jesus, but you've been running far, far, far the other way from Jesus. And you know what God did in God's grace and mercy? He brought a big old stinky fish to swallow up Jonah in the middle of the ocean. And that fish took Jonah way down to the depths where he says, from Sheol, from the place of the dead, I cried out to you. And what? He heard my voice and he answered me. That's a good place when you're way down deep. Why? Because if we didn't get down there, we probably wouldn't see the hope that we need. If we didn't get way down deep, we probably wouldn't know how much in the depths we really are unless God showed it to us. Tim Keller, he says, it's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted That you're finally open to learning how to completely depend upon God. You know, if we don't get deep enough, somehow we think we'll get out of the hole that we've dug for ourselves. 
But when we get deep enough, when we get to the point of hopelessness from the created measures that we work with our own hands or the created things can provide us, it's those things that need to be broken so that we cry out to our creator and we seek his help and grace. It's that. It's in him where hope is found. He says, O Lord, hear my voice. Let my ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You know, David's prayer isn't a prayer, or the psalmist's prayer isn't a prayer from a place of persecution. The psalmist's prayer isn't a prayer from a place of suffering. The psalmist's prayer isn't a a, a prayer from the place of hard circumstances. The psalmist's prayer is a lament because of his own sin. Heather Carruthers, who wrote our first devotional this week, she says the psalmist is being honest, releasing all that's inside of him, pleading for reprieve. I'm really looking forward to those honest moments. I say that because I know they're like, I say, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but it's going to like really get hard (laughs) because those moments are hard, aren't they? When you get honest with your own sin and you got to deal with your, your junk, but Those are the moments that you see God's grace and mercy so supernaturally. Because it's not about your neighbor and it's not about your family member. It's not about your friend who needs to just fix it and get in line and get better. But it's about you. It's about you. It's about him meeting where you are at. It's about God meeting me where I'm at. It's about me taking off the pastor hat and saying, Lord, would you be my good shepherd? And about walking in that. And finding reprieve there, as Heather says. If you, O Lord, kept a, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand if God had a record book of our sins? <laughs> oh man, if God had a record book of our sins. You hear me, folks? If God had a record book of your sin, I'm not talking about your neighbor's sin or your family member's sin or your friend's sin. If he just had a record book of your sin, then you would never be able to stand before him, nor would I. But the Lord does not have a record book of your sin or my sin because the Lord has a habit of forgiveness. That's, that's just who he is. That's his habit. He's made plain that this is just the nature and character of God. And we know that there's nothing of our own that we bring to God, but it's all of his grace that we find value in. Proverbs 21.2 says, every man is right in his own eyes. (laughs) If you're a woman, you know that's to be true. (laughs) Every man is right in his own eyes. This This is just a common theme of humanity, though, because men and women together, we think that oftentimes we're the one that is right. And here's what the psalmist says, to remind us of the depths of which we need God, but the Lord weighs the heart. He measures it. He measures our heart. And so with our heart, we should cry out to him for hope. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you, all who call upon you, all who call upon you. Nobody who calls on the Lord from the depths of their souls will God neglect. There's nobody 
Case in point, David, the adulterous, murderous cover-up. He was not excluded from the measure of God's grace. But he was shown grace and mercy. And Jonah, the runaway, like me and you, we were shown grace and mercy when we were running as fast as we could in the other direction. Because all who come to him find his abounding and steadfast love and his good forgiveness. But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. There's a really good recipe here. If, if you want the recipe for worship, like a heart that's devoted for God, you need these two things to collide so that your heart is enlivened for worship. Number one, you need forgiveness because you cannot worship a God that is completely righteous without Him forgiving you because your worship will not be received. Your worship will be rejected. Why? Because your sin infects every part of you and your worship won't even be worship. It can't even be truly devoted to Him unless God gives you a new heart, regenerates your heart, causes you to come alive. And that's what forgiveness is, right? It's you coming alive to an awareness of the goodness of God so that you might be feared. Forgiveness and fear equals worship. When you have forgiveness... That forgiveness looks to Christ on the cross and you see the death that He died and you see your unrighteousness and you see the righteous one who's there bearing the sin and judgment of the unrighteous of, or of the, right, yeah, of the unrighteous and then you fear God because you know that's what you deserve. That's the righteous punishment for sin. And because you see your sin upon Christ on that cross, you stand in awe of His work. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's this reverence towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you know it's absolutely awesome. Even the abounding work of God in creation is incomparable to the work of Christ's love shown for us on the cross. We see the Grand Canyon and it causes us to say, man is God amazing. But when we see the cross, we say, isn't God loving and forgiving, and merciful, and gracious, and they all point to him. The Grand Canyon points to the Redeemer. All things point to things being brought into harmony through Christ Jesus, and it causes us a reverent awe and a worship. Tim Keller says, what do we owe a God who gives us all that we have and keeps us alive every second? We ought to love him and serve him without rival." That's hope down deep. When, you're, when you get that hope down deep, you see that there's nothing that rivals our hope that's in the Lord. Nothing. And then, this is really the application of our passage. I'm going to give it in, in the middle of the sermon. You're saying in the middle. You've been up there for a while. Well, you know, hey, I, I got, a, got a building here and I got a pulpit and, you know, we don't have to tear down, so we're just going to use that time with the sermon. Um, so... <laughs> Number two is we wait for hope. We wait for hope. Verses five through six. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. If you were to define hope, the definition is a feeling of expectation 
in desire for a certain thing to happen. You want something to happen. Your soul is expecting something to happen, and so you're waiting for that to happen. We're all waiting for something. We all know that this world isn't paradise, but the temptation is is that if we don't have our hope waiting for the Lord, then we're waiting for something else. And what we're doing with our waiting is we're trying to turn this broken-down world into the paradise it was never meant to be. But our hope in the Lord is truly awaiting for the Lord waiting for his plan and purposes to prevail, to, to prevail, not my plan and purposes to prevail. And the example that we're given is quite, quite powerful. There's, there's really two ways that you can wait upon the Lord. There's only one that really, really God calls us to. You can passively wait upon the Lord. That's like waiting in uh, the doctor's office and you're fiddling around on your phone or you're watching the soap opera or network news in the corner tv every time i go into a waiting room there's only two things that are possibly on tv it's network news or a soap opera and so you can engage in one of those two things or you're flipping through a magazine but it's not a waiting that's active it's a waiting that's passive it's like waiting on a plane to get to your destination you're not actively waiting you're just you're just killing time God doesn't die. Jesus didn't die for us to just kill time, right? This active waiting is the waiting of the watchman. The watchman's job description was to stay awake, man your post, and wait. That was the the job description for the watchman. If they didn't stay awake, if they didn't man their post, well, they were working under the threat of punishment, severe punishment, or even death. And so the watchmen knew that they had a job and their job was an alertness. It was a, 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 an awareness of their surroundings, an attention to detail. It was watching every little thing because the city that the watchman was charged to guard over is most vulnerable under darkness towards threat. And so the watchmen waited with alertness, vigilant, seeing if anything was out of line, seeing if anything was going to threaten the city. And what was also the watchman waiting for? The watchman was waiting for daybreak. Because when the early signs of dawn arose, a sigh of relief came upon the watchman as he knew that his job was done so he could sleep. And then he would do it again the next day and do it again the next day and do it again the next day. When we're awake... When we're awake, we are waiting actively on the hope of the Lord. And the hope of the Lord is, is what we see in the Old Testament. It was, it was a waiting for the Messiah to come. They were given the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but, but they didn't know what we know on this side of human history, that, that he came from the Virgin Mary and that he lived a perfect and sinless life. 33 years, and then he died the death on the cross, and then he rose again on the third day. They were prophesied those things, and it was, it was kind of a, a bit of puzzle pieces that the prophets helped them put together, but they didn't know what we know, which is salvation came through Christ. The other thing that we must know is that Christ is going to come again, that one day this broken world will be made right, and that through his second coming, will be the consummation of all things when he's going to mend this broken world to perfection. 
and that he is going to use us to bring about his plan and purposes, that we have the wonderful privilege of actively waiting by the power and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why in Psalm 40, verse 31, it says, But they wait for the Lord shall but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The Psalm or Isaiah 40, Ray Ortland says, God is speaking to weak, tired, discouraged people. They're weak in faith. Their fatigue is spiritual. They're weak in courage. They feel like quitting. And it's weaklings like them and like us who receive the power of God to love with our heads held high and with a lively confidence in a big God. Because we can see in his promise a bright future beyond the barbed wire. Sometimes you look out into the horizon and if you're a watchman, that's all you see is barbed wire. But a watchman who waits on the Lord is looking beyond the horizon of of what they can see. That's what hope does, right? It looks to what we cannot see with our eyes and we're trusting that it's there because God has said it to be true from his word. Hope in the word, the Lord. And beyond the barbed wire, there's a bright future. And there's a bright future that God is calling me to step into as I trust him each and every waking moment of my every day. Active waiting. And the third point is hope in the Lord. Verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The history of Israel is a checkered past. Sometimes, sometimes Israel was faithful. Sometimes, like, like 10 seconds out of a billion years. Israel was faithful. But most of the time, Israel was unfaithful. If Israel had to count on their faithfulness to save them, then they'd be through. But God redeemed them every time. Every time God redeemed them. In fact, even in their their discipline, they're being conquered by other nations, they're being chastised by the surrounding territories. Even in that discipline, it was a means of God redeeming them and bringing His plan to fulfillment, the coming of Christ. And so you see that our hope is not in ourselves, like Israel, because kind of like Israel, you and me are like, you know, we got like 10 good seconds out of a billion. And if we hope in ourselves, then our hope is done. And then one of the tendencies that we have, I don't know about you, but I have, is that when, when the problems sin, tend, to, tend to crush upon me, because let's be honest about hope. Hope doesn't mean that we won't have problems, right? Hope doesn't mean that we won't have problems. Hope means that our problems don't have us. They don't have a grip on us. But when we lose sight of that, we look towards the quick fix, the thing that's going to get us out of our problem, and we think that there is our salvation versus our salvation being in Christ. And so like Israel, we transfer our hope to lesser things, lesser gods, lesser kings, lesser rulers. We make unholy alliances with the things of this world, thinking that this thing is going to give me my ultimate hope. But it won't. It leads to despair, 
10 times out of 10 times. But thank God sometimes those things happen because it brings us down to the depths. And I wonder what, it, what depths Israel was in right here because they were making the cry out again. They were reminded of Israel's past deliverance, but in the present, they needed a future hope. And the future hope was the God who delivered them yesterday is the God who is sustaining them every second of this day. And he is the God who will surely deliver you tomorrow. Past, present, and future. The Lord is our hope. He's our redeemer. There's a, a, any Superman fans? Any Superman fans in the room? Danny, one person. Woohoo! All right. So um, there's an old Superman movie where Superman, he, he rescues this man out of a burning building and he's flying him safely and, and to, 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 to safety. And as he's flying this man out of a burning building, the man is holding on to Superman. He's saying, Superman, don't drop me. I'm scared. I'm scared. And Superman looks down at me and says, didn't I just rescue you from that burning building? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He says, what makes you think that I would drop you right now? Sometimes we think after being saved, after Jesus rescuing us from the despair of what can utterly kill us out of all things is, is sin without redemption. He saved us from that. Jesus offers us that. But, but we think that today, today, the problems of today are too big for our God to save us from right now. And he's going to somehow drop us in the middle of the air when he's just saved us from the fire. That's what we think. That's what Israel thought. And we're a lot like them. We need the hope of the Redeemer that says, if I saved you from the fire, what makes you think I would drop you right now? He won't do it. It's not in his nature and character. He will carry us safely through when Jesus comes and consummates this world with his perfect plan and purpose. He is going to bring you home with him. That's the redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing greater than that, church. And so when we actively wait on hope, we have a person that we hope in and that person has a name and his name is Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sins. I'm so thankful Cross Point Espanol is here today. So I get a, get a round of applause. <laughs> and that hope came at a cost. Jesus didn't enter into the world and snap his fingers and make our sins go away. No, he went down deep where we were in the muck and mire of our lives. And he lived his life perfectly. And while he lived his life perfectly, he wasn't, he wasn't passively living his life perfectly. Like he didn't hole up into some shelter and just wait for the world to go around, around, uh, around him. No, he was ministering. He was healing the sick. He was, he was making the lame walk. He was raising the dead. He was making the blind see. He was making the deaf hear. That's who he is. That's what he does. What else did he do? He went to the cross. He went to the cross. It was hope spilled out of his veins he died a sinner's death he answered this psalmist's plea for mercy on that cross 
he answers our plea for mercy on that cross. And through the cross, we receive salvation. And it's through the cross that we know that the cross isn't the end of the story. But we worship a God who is not dead, but happy Easter, the tomb is empty. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So he's coming back. Amen? Amen. So I don't know where you're at in needing hope today. I did a little research on what's the deepest point of planet Earth. And if you just Google what's the deepest point of planet Earth, you're going to go down to Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean. 36,000 feet deep. If you were to put Mount Everest in Marianas Trench, you would still have 1.2 miles of water above Mount Everest. The crushing weight of our sin is all that water upon us. But do you know that God's grace is deeper still? So maybe you're down deep in the depths of your sin. And you don't even know how to pray a prayer. Well, you got one right here. Just pray the psalmist's words. Lord, save me. This is the sinner's prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness, and I receive it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that you don't leave us in the depths, but God, you, you go down there with us. You have gone down there with us, Jesus. You have met us there. And while we feel as though we're there today, Lord, it's the presence of your Spirit that takes away our guilt and condemnation because you remind us of your blood, the blood-bought work of Christ. So, Lord, I pray for those who are here today, Lord, those who are we're struggling to understand, God, if, if, if they even have hope in you, Lord. Lord, give them the hope that they need so that it could walk in your ways, so that forgiveness and fear become an act of worship out of our hearts that belongs to you. That, Lord Jesus, you would be unrivaled in our lives, that we would say, above all else, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We honor you here today because you are worthy and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.